of your holiness and your majestic being and to worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth with all that we are, to love you, Father, with our, our soul, mind, body, and, and with, with all of our strength, Father, to do so in a manner that, that enlarges you in our hearts and magnifies you in our souls and at the same time, Father, declares your supreme value in the entire universe. And as we get ready, Father, to, to press our minds into this, this fantastic story, we pray, Father, that, that you will help us to discern it and to apply it and to be, to, to be transformed by it. For this, Father, we pray to have eyes that see and ears that hear. And we ask you, Father, to, to help us apply every, every syllable of it to our lives and whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in. And so bless us in this way, and we ask it all with faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, on the front end of this, this reading out of Matthew chapter 8, we have two failures to launch in the area of discipleship. There is this fella, a disciple is what he's identified by Matthew as. He comes, this disciple, and says, You know what, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. It doesn't matter. I will follow you. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know, foxes have holes and, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay his head. And then immediately following that, there's this other fella, another disciple, as Matthew calls him, who comes up and says that he would like to follow Jesus as well, but his family is a, uh, impeding that a little bit. His family is making it difficult for him to follow. And Jesus says in verse 22, follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, that seems a little harsh, but Jesus is not being cruel. What Jesus is being is realistic. Jesus is being honest because to be a disciple means the very definition is to follow Jesus. Let me say that again. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. And on top of that, one of the things that we learn is that Jesus will never let you down. And that's what the twelve discover and what they find out about Christ as they follow Him into the boat and they go to the other side and before they get to the other side they encounter this storm and they see this great power that Jesus has and what we want to do this morning as we consider this story is to look at that power from four different angles the first one is this Jesus has a real world power Jesus has a real world power by real world what I mean is that Jesus has a power that's in real time it is a power that is in the present now, Mark's rendition or his account of this same story has some, of the, uh, some additional details in it, some specifics that Matthew's gospel doesn't have. For instance, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 35, one of the things that we, we know about in this story is that it happened at evening. In verse 36, we have this little enigmatic statement that says that Jesus got into the boat, the other boat, just as he was. Now, again, that's a little enigmatic, but if you go a little bit earlier in, in that chapter in Mark's gospel... One of the things you see is that Jesus is already in a boat. He's pushed off the shore a little ways. He's teaching this large crowd on the banks. And it looks like he does not, in Mark's gospel, go back to the shore, but he gets out of the boat that he's in into another boat while he's still in the water, and they head off to the other side. Uh, also in verse 36, you have uh, Mark including that there were other boats that were around the boat that he was in as he was teaching. Both Matthew and Mark have that Jesus is in the back of the boat as well as sleeping, and Mark includes that it, it, there was a cushion there. Now, all of these details, why is this significant? I mean, when you think about all of these details, they add nothing to the story, 
But they do tell us at least one thing, and it's this. These are the memories of someone. These are eyewitness details. And what that means is that this story that we read in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 where Jesus quiets the sea, that this is not a legend. Because legends were not written in this way in antiquity. Now, when we write fiction today, we try to make it look very realistic, and, you know, try to make it as, as fact-filled as possible, but this is not the way that it was done in the ancient world. And the reason it's significant to think about this is because today, in the modern world, when, we, when, when people read this, a lot of times, with a modern mind, a modern way of thinking about the world, they look at this and they go, you know what, this story never happened. I mean, this is just a legend. This is a myth. This is a supernatural myth. This never really happened. Nobody believes in miracles. But the problem with that kind of thinking is that it assumes that the gospel writers anticipated how we in the modern world would write our legends and write our fictions. Centuries later, they emulated it, and then no one ever did it again like that until our modern time. Nobody wrote legends like this in antiquity with all of these details. That's not the way it was done. And what this means is that this story, according to Mark, according to Matthew, is not a legend. Again, legends were not written this way. But what this is is an eyewitness account of what really happened. And one of the things that Matthew and Mark really want us to understand is that this story on the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, it really happened. Now, this is, this is really practical for us and for a couple of reasons. The first is Jesus' power does not come to us as, uh, you know, internally as some kind of a, a super New Age inspiration. But it comes to us as a real power in the real world in real time. And the second thing is, if this is not true, then this story doesn't have any relevance to us at all. I mean, if it didn't happen, how are we supposed to trust Jesus in the storms of life, which is the reason I think this story was written in the first place? So this story, if it's to have relevance, has to happen in real time. And it did happen... And Jesus does have real power in the real world, which leads to a second point. Not only is this, uh, this power of Jesus a real world power, but it's an infinite power. Look at the question that the disciples ask at the end of this, this, this story in um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. They go, what kind of man is this? Over in Mark's gospel, they ask, who is this? But what kind of man is this? The answer is, he is one who has infinite power. Now, if you visit the, the northern part of Israel today, and you get up to the very beautiful part, the, the very picturesque, in fact, very green, it's a, it's a beautiful part of the Middle East. You go to the northern part of Israel where the Sea of Galilee is located, and you're standing there on the edge of the sea, you're 636 feet, nearly 640 feet below sea level. And if you look to the northeast, you see the Golan Heights, and the Golan Heights are 9,200 feet above sea level. And so within a span of about 30 miles where you have the Golan Heights, going down to the Sea of Galilee, you have a drop of about 10,000 feet in 30 miles. That's quite a drop. And what that means geographically in, in terms of the atmosphere is that you have this continual clashing between the warm air of the lake and the cold air coming off of the mountains. And what happens is they produce these incredible storms. In fact, if you read this text in the original language, Matthew calls it a mega seismos. It is a, a mega, uh, a mega or a great shaking. And then also in the original language, it is a storm that literally it, it threatens to cover 
the boat. Now, in this boat, as you know, as we've just read, there are some fishermen, at least four. And these fellows know what the sea is like. They know what it's like to be in a storm. That's why, uh, even to this day, the, 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 the fishermen in Galilee who are using sort of primitive boats, not far removed from the boats that they used you know, a thousand years ago, stay pretty close to the shore because of how quickly these storms can erupt and how violent they can get. And so here are these fishermen in this boat. Jesus is in the back uh, sleeping, and they think that they're going to die. For them, it's, it's a very dire situation. I mean, it, this is dramatic for them. The boat is actually being covered by waves. They think they're going to go down. They're bailing, and they can't bail fast enough. And so for them, it's a very dramatic situation, a dire situation. But notice in Matthew chapter 8, there's very little drama here in Jesus' actions. Jesus doesn't get up and he doesn't, you know, pull his, his, his pants up and roll up his sleeves and get to work. He doesn't do that at all. What he actually does is to stand up and he speaks to the storm the way that a parent would, would speak to a child. He says, be quiet and stay quiet, literally. Be quiet and stay quiet. I mean, that's not the way you speak to a, a hurricane. Unless that hurricane seems to you like a little child because you are the creator of the universe. Well, let me tell you something. Him speaking that way to a hurricane is astonishing. It's astonishing. And the second astonishing thing is that the hurricane obeyed. The hurricane heard and it became a dead calm. Both the winds and the waves not just the wind dying down. If the wind just died down, it could be a coincidence, right? But both make, go, go to great pains, Matthew and Mark, to say that this is a dead calm. It's not, not just the wind ceasing, but, but the waves have ceased as well. In fact, Matthew's going to say that the mega shaking, the mega seismos, the, the mega storm has become a mega calm. Now, I'm like a bunch of you out there that have been to the coast and have been by great uh, bodies of water from time to time when there was a storm. And you know as well as I do that, uh, you know, even when that storm passes over and the winds have stopped blowing, those waves are still coming in pretty hard, right? Well, not here in this story. Jesus speaks to nature and a perfect windless glass-like surface to the water appears. This is incomparable, incomparable power. And you know, the other thing that's, that's, uh, that's, that's uh, significant about this story is that out of all of the things that were believed in, in the ancient world, nearly everybody believed in antiquity that the sea was an uncontrollable power and the sea was a destructive power and that only the gods could control it. And so you have uh, this place over in 2 Maccabees chapter 9 where Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, who's one of those Seleucid kings that really hates the Jews and making it hard on, on Israel at the time that he's reigning and, and uh, is really the guy that gets the, the Hasmonean War started, the, the, uh, the Jewish revolt started about 150 B.C. He believed, as attested in that book, that, that he could control the water. And the rabbis in Israel during that time just went nuts because, you know, that's blasphemy. Only God can, 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 can control that kind of power. But then notice that Christ, when he says, be quiet and stay quiet, uh, that Jesus doesn't do it like magicians. He doesn't, he doesn't try to conjure up uh, a, a, a divine being. He, does, he doesn't appeal to a higher power. Why? 
because He is that higher power. And this is a power that He is manifesting and demonstrating in real time, in the present, in the real world. And you know what this does? Once we kind of get to this point and we see the kind of power that Jesus really has, it pushes us to the brink. If this really happened, and it did, then who is this? Who is this? What kind of man is this? And what does it mean for us? Well, one thing, you know, is that there is more than just storms in life. There is also one who is able to control those storms. And what that means is that regardless of what might be happening in your life, there can be hope and there can be safety and there can be meaning in life. But to get there, the disciples have to understand this next point, and it's a point that I think we struggle with as well. Not only does Jesus have this infinite power and this real-world power, Jesus has an unmanageable power. Now, this is tough. Uh, Notice the emotions of the disciples in Mark's account. You know, at, at the very beginning, they are terrified of the storm. They are bailing like crazy to be able to get this water out. In Matthew's Gospel, the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a mega seismic shaking of, of the earth for them in, the, in this hurricane-type storm. And, and they're bailing like mad. They're terrified of the storm. But after the storm, they're even more terrified of Jesus. They're bailing water. They're not making any headway. They think they're going to die. The boat is being covered up by the waves. They're moments away from sinking. They wake up Jesus and they cry out to Him that they are about to die. Don't you care that we're about to perish? Now let's step back just for a moment. Every person who has ever tried to live with faith in the real world has had a a situation or some circumstance in life where it felt like they were sinking and they were about to go under. And it looks like, you know what? It looks like God is asleep. And it looks like God is, is unaware of what's going on and you've got you to gotta wake Him up. And because they have to wake Him up in their hour of need, what is it that they think? Well, He must not care. If He cared, He would know. If He cared, He would not let us go through this deadly peril. If he cared, we would be spared from this kind of thing. But notice what Jesus does. They get up and they wake him up and and they say, don't you care that we perish? And he, he he does not say to them, right, I know exactly how you felt. Bummer. Verse 26 of Matthew 8, he replied, you of oligopistos, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And they say to him, it's because we thought you didn't care. And Jesus says, Your premise is all wrong. I do love people. I love them madly. But that doesn't mean that I don't let them go through storms from time to time. Jesus is, and Mark and Matthew both are helping us to see in the story that Jesus can still love someone and let them go through a storm. He says that their faith is little. He doesn't say that they don't have faith. He says they have little faith. And what he means by that is you have little faith because you panicked. In other words, your faith does not work the way it ought to. If their faith had worked, if their faith had had been functioning properly, they would have seen that Jesus has this great power, this greater power in the real world, greater than the sea, greater than the storm, although it cannot be managed or manipulated. 
Okay. So you have a storm that has this great power that can't be managed, and you have Jesus who has an even greater power that can't be managed. So what's the point? Who cares? It's a big deal. And the reason is this. The storm doesn't love you. The storm doesn't love you. Nature will wear you down and destroy you. Nature is violent. The things that, that nature does to our, our bodies is frightening. And what it does to the bodies of our loved ones, nature's, it, nature is not under our control, but the Christ is not either. Christ is not under our control either, but, but He loves you. He loves you. And when your faith works, when your faith functions the way that it's supposed to, as a disciple who will follow Him anywhere, that has heard the call, that the kingdom is here, you understand that His unmanageable power in real time works for your good, even though it might include going through a storm. And not just a little one, but one that really begins to threaten your very life. And I'm here to tell you that as a disciple, what it means in Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel, what it means to be a disciple is to know that the only safe place is in the will of God and at His side. And Jesus is saying that a faith that works, if, if your faith is working, then you can, go, you can go through this kind of storm and not panic. And when you think about it, you know, we get mad for, at God from time to time because he's, he's, he's allowing us to go through this kind of storm and he's not, he's not providing for us that safe harbor all of the time. But here's the thing. If, if you have a God that's big enough to be angry at because he did not use his great unmanageable power to stop you from suffering, then you also have a God who is big enough to have reasons for letting you to go through the storm that you might not understand. And the reason that you know that this great power will be used lovingly for you and with you and around you is because Jesus' power is costly. Last point. Jesus has a costly power. Think about this. When you, when you read this story over and over and over again, there's all of a sudden an Old Testament story that begins to pop in your mind. And, and, and one of the things that's, that's um, a, a little bit different... Um, for us and these disciples in that moment, is that we have a resource that those disciples in the boat did not have. There is a, a, a story of the calming of the seas in the Gospels that, uh, or this story of the calming of the seas in the Gospels has a lot of similarity with an Old Testament story that involved a man by the name of Jonah. And in both of these stories you have a sea, and in both of these stories you have a boat, and in both of these stories you have overwhelming storms, and in both of the stories, you know, G Jonah has gone down to the bottom of the boat and is a, he's asleep. And the Christ is in the back of his boat and he's asleep. And in both of these stories, the sailors come in and they wake the sleeper up and they say, we're dying here. And they're all saved uh, because of this miraculous intervention by God. And in both stories, the sailors are more afraid or more scared after the sea has been, has been calmed. You know, the only difference, the only you know, the only one thing missing in both is that when Jonah says, if I perish, you will survive, so you have to throw me into the storm, you know, and it happens and, you know, the, the storm is calmed. But then again, maybe that's not so different, is it? 
In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I'm the true Jonah. And Jesus on the cross was thrown into the ultimate storm of death and sin in order to save us. And that, and that is really the only storm that will ultimately destroy you. And, and Jesus enters it to keep you from going through that. And if you see Him entering that storm, why would we think that He would sleep through any of our smaller storms? And the hope that comes to us when we see that is knowing that one day He's going to calm all storms. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And this is a, a time of invitation for anyone who is struggling with whatever storm they might have in life right now. You know, we want everybody's faith to work. We want everybody's faith to work in such a way that they don't panic when they see the storm brewing out on the horizon or they find themselves heading right towards the middle of it. And, and, and some of the ways that God has provided for it, He has given us an inspired word in which we can read the stories of those that have gone through similar kinds of, of events and storms in their life and see the way that they weathered it. Uh, we also have the fellowship of brothers and sisters that when we go through this physically, we do not go through it alone. But we know that we are surrounded by people that even if they don't know from first-hand knowledge, from personal knowledge of the storm that might be happening inside of our soul, they want the best for us and we know that they pray for us and that they're holding our arms up so that our faith continues to be strong in the Lord. And we also know that, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, that that Holy Spirit that we receive when we're baptized is placed inside of us and one of the, we receive it as a gift and one of the ways that, that that Spirit benefits us and blesses us, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, is to strengthen us in the inner person. But more than anything else, we have God with us. We're never alone and never out of sight and, and never out of the reach of the Creator of the universe who loves you with a love that, that we can't get our minds around so deep and profound and wide and height of it so high that we can't get our minds around it. And it, it may be this morning that you're struggling with that. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front, and they, they want to embrace you and love you and pray with you and encourage you and, and be with you during these storms. But we also, there, there may be an, an opportunity this morning, maybe you've never given your life to the one that has this kind of power that calms these kinds of storms. And, 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 and not only that, but actually went into the ultimate storm, the storm that involves death and sin and our separation from God, the ultimate storm that can really separate us from God and destroy us. He has calmed that one by His own self-sacrifice. And when we turn to Him in faith and choose to follow Him, as He called every disciple who has ever lived, every Christian who has ever lived to follow Him, and we confess that He is the Lord. And we repent about that choosing to, to leave aside this direction that goes the opposite way from Him, but to choose to go His way, to come to our senses, to choose His way, to choose Him, and to be baptized, and our sins to be washed away, and to receive that Spirit, and to be joined to the body of, of, of Christ, 
to become a part of a church family and, and to have that spirit inside of us that, that, that strengthens us in the inner man and sanctifies so that we, we actually do grow up in our faith and we do grow up spiritually and we do have a way of thinking that is changed and we understand that this Word is more and more and more the, 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 the truth. Each day, and each, each day we're a believer. Each day we're saved. Each day we're a Christian. We know it to be a truth more so than the day before. If that describes you this morning, we, we would love to see you confess Jesus to